media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah 5. How, how relevant are the following subjects? Uh, inflation? Supply chain issues? Unmanageable debt? Human trafficking? Are those relevant topics? If you just kind of threw those out there, a lot of people say, well, you know, you must be talking about, you know, our, our current culture and our current status in the world. Um, what if I threw in there? That leadership, that is those that were kind of over the other ones, whether they were in government, whether they were just in leadership, uh, using the hurt of the afflicted for their own opportunity and their own gain. Do you think that's a relevant topic? And a lot, again, we, we would go back and say, well, yes, that's the world that we're living in, is that we're talking about 2022. Then we're talking about Nehemiah's day, and this is actually Nehemiah chapter 5. He addresses some things that today are so relevant in our lives and folks, when we look back thousands of years, we find that this was very relevant in Nehemiah's days. These topics are our current issues, if you want to say. These certainly are things that we have to deal with. And Nehemiah was dealing with them within the Jewish people as we begin to, to see this building in the wall. Now, when we left last week in chapter 4, we kind of left on a high note. There was a lot of good things going on. And the fact that a lot of people, it said in, in uh, Nehemiah 4, that the people had a mind to work. In other words, there was a cooperation. And they were building this wall around Jerusalem. If you're new to, to Nehemiah, uh, the whole book is about God calling the, the Jewish people who had been exiled in different places. They had been captive in different lands. And now he was calling the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. And one of the things that needed to happen for Jerusalem to kind of at least get going again and kind of begin to find this place of prominence that it had in the years before was that they needed to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and they were in shambles. And so Nehemiah, under God's leadership, his call, he goes out and begins to organize the people to do just that. And they're actually accomplishing it faster than anybody could ever imagine. Not without opposition. The other area provincial leaders are mocking the Jewish people. They're saying even if a fox got on this wall, it would fall down. And so there's opposition on the outside trying to discourage the people on the inside building this wall. But we found out as we've been looking through Nehemiah that some of this discouragement also came from within. And one of the things that we see today is that there was some discouragement coming even though they had completed 50% of the wall by this point. Look at Nehemiah 5.1. Now there arose a great outcry. That word outcry is a Hebrew word that was the same word that the Jewish people used their outcry back when they were in Egyptian captivity. So this is kind of a really uh, deep word. It's a, it's a really um, a word that expresses a depth of emotion and conflict and heaviness. And it says there, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now what's about to happen? This isn't something against the leaders of other provinces. This isn't uh, of all the people that are outside. No, their problem, we're going to find out, is an internal problem. Uh, just brother against brother, Jewish person against Jewish person. These people that were supposed to be the, the people of God, the called out people, they're actually kind of finding that it's difficult 
to get along with one another. And what was the problem? Did they just not see eye to eye on some things? Well, there's three, actually three different problems that we see that he begins to tell us in the following verses. Problem number one, the need for food. Look at verse two. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. Let us get grain that we might eat and keep alive. Now, a lot of us have uh, been that teenager that said, Mom, when's supper going to be ready? I'm about to starve to death. Have you ever said that before? Yeah. And I don't know that anybody in here really has ever really been. Maybe you, you do have a story, and maybe you have been an occasion where you were about to starve to death. But most of us have not experienced that. And so if we just get a little bit of hungry or we just kind of, we're not eating quite as, you know, when we want to, we'll say something like that. And yet what we see here is that these people really were uh, on the pathway to starvation there. Now what happened? Uh, all of a sudden, instead of harvesting and planting and doing all the things that they were supposed to normally do, what have they been doing at least for the last couple of months? Or at least a couple of weeks in the time that we're reading Nehemiah? They're building a wall. And so where they normally would be doing this job or that job, now they're giving their attention to the law. And so all of a sudden they have a need still to eat, and yet they've been giving all their attention to God's call. What we also find here, problem number two, is that there was high inflation and increasing debt. Supply chain issues. All of a sudden there wasn't enough of something, and so what happens to the price? Let's just say gas, for example. If all of a sudden there's not as much gas, what happens to the price of gas? goes up. And these people were experiencing that. I never thought I'd see the day. I went to fill up my truck the other day, and it was $96.54. That's not a personal record I really want to beat. You know, it was one of those things that's like, wow, almost $100. And as tempting as it was to say, I wonder if I can get to 100 I really don't want to get to 100 okay? It's not one of those things that you're... That's what was happening here. There, there had been a famine in the land, and so food was scarce. They're working on the wall, and so they're not able to get attention to all the other things that they still have to do. And all of a sudden, prices and inflation went up. Nehemiah verse 3, 5, 3. There are also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Now, again, not trying to be silly, but it's one of those things. You start looking at the gas prices, you start looking at all these other prices and the inflation that's happening around us. You're going, okay, we used to be able to pay for things on a week-to-week basis. And now you're going, maybe we're beyond our means. You know, maybe we're now at a deficit. That's what was happening here. All of a sudden, they could not afford just the necessary things. There was inflation, there was this crisis, there's increasing debt, and they're having to mortgage things that they owned in order to get money just to live. Problem number three, there were taxes and extreme poverty. Now, I was kind of glad just in our current occasion, uh, and I'm trying to hold out to fill up my truck again until this new tax law kind of goes in there that the governor signed the other day because it's going to save about 30 cents a gallon. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it all the way on fumes until so, because I do not want to fill up with $96 and then the next day it dropped 30 cents a gallon, okay? So that's coming, he signed it, and now it's going to happen. But it's very rare. Wouldn't you agree that it's very rare that even in hard economic times that, that the governors and those who are kind of collecting taxes say, hey, just take a break. How many of you 
have received a letter from the IRS this year saying, take a break. Man, this is hard times. I don't know of a single person who's done that. And again, I'm not trying to be silly, but I'm trying to be relevant to what was going on here. We would say, no, we'll, we'll never receive a letter from the IRS saying, hey, tough times, just don't worry about your taxes this year. It's just not going to happen. And it wasn't happening there. Look at verse 4 and 5. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And what's happened? Things got so bad. And I know this seems so weird to us and so foreign to us. But back in the day, in the Old Testament, we do see that when things got really, really extreme, that it was kind of a cultural thing. And we're not saying it's a biblical thing. But it was a cultural thing that sometimes they would sell a son or a daughter into to slavery. Now, the Bible does address this. Back in Leviticus, back in Deuteronomy, back in Exodus, we can see where if you did put your child or you put somebody from the family into enslavement, that you could buy them back. In other words, you could get money and then you could buy them back if times got better. Or in the seventh year, they were released. Go back in the Bible and you'll see all those things addressed. God addresses these things, not because he approves of selling children into slavery. But that was the culture. That's what was happening. So foreign to us. And yet, would you, moms, dads, would you say that that would be a last resort? For us, it would be no resort. No, I know some of y'all are going, hey, I would gladly give up. No, no, no. I think my parents would have been ready to make a deal when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, they would have said, $5, he's yours. But for the most part, for the most part, you know, that's so foreign to us. Does this paint a picture of drastic times? Would you agree that whether we understand it, certainly don't embrace it, but whether we understand it or not, that this, there's a crisis here. Would you say that there's a bigger crisis than what we are facing right now as we would complain about gas prices and grocery prices and supply chain issues? Not, not to minimize those things, but but are we a little bit more in better standing than what we uh, these people appear to be? Yes. And every day that I hear about the Ukrainians, I hear about the war, and I hear about you know they put 119 you know strollers out there to represent just in one little community 119 little babies that had passed in in this war that's going on, folks. We complain and, and we, we get irritable when all of a sudden finances are tight. But I want you to know that here things are really going south. And, and yet we left on a good note last week because they were building the wall and the wall is really, really important and they're 50% done. And people have a mind to work, as the scripture says. And so we kind of have things going in two different directions. Spiritually, God's call upon their life. They're, they're getting this. And yet life is difficult. But here, here's the whole thing. Here's the whole thing. The problems were coming from the inside, not the outside. And they were coming in multiples. Have you ever heard that phrase, when it rains, it pours? Have you ever had the phrase, bad things happen in threes? You know, 
I mean, this is what's hitting them. The, the problem here is not just rough economic times. The problem is the source of that problem. Look at verse 6. And this is Nehemiah talking, okay? He said, I was very angry when I heard their outcry at these words. Now, why was he angry? If the people were just expressing, hey, we're about to starve here. We've had to sell our farm. We've had to sell everything that we own. We've had to liquidate just to make it by. And now we're running out of that money. We're in debt over our head. Why, why is he angry? Because unfortunately, I mean, those are bad things. Why is he angry? Because the source of this indebtedness was coming from the Jewish people themselves. Instead of being brothers together and binding together in unity, and say, man, hard economic times, let's just all pull together. There were those that were um, in leadership, nobles and officials, they're referred to here, that were taking advantage of the ones that were really having a difficult time. And, and they were giving them loans, uh, kind of what we would say a loan shark. Okay, we'll give you a loan. We'll buy the farm at a really discounted price, but we're going to charge you this kind of interest. It's kind of an amazing thing. I've always wondered, you know, what would possess people to have to go? You know, sometimes you hear about, oh, yeah, I had a 42% loan, and you're going, 42%? Did you mean four or did you mean two? No, I meant 42. Why would you even do that? I mean, you get scared. I can only imagine, guys, that you do some extreme things. And that's what was happening here. These people weren't looking to go bankrupt. They weren't looking to go under. They weren't looking to have to sell their children off into slavery. But that was what was happening because there was a famine in the land. There were difficult times. And they were building this wall. And so they couldn't give full attention to the other things that were going on. It truly was just a difficult time. Nehemiah hears this outcry and he's enraged at verse 7 and 8 and we find out why. I took counsel with myself. Another way of saying it, I thought this through. He didn't just kind of react. Sometimes we get angry and he's really angry in, in verse 6. And Have you ever just responded in anger without thinking things through? Okay, he's angry but he's wise. I took counsel with myself. In other words, I thought it through. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So he got all these nobles and all these officials together. And he said, you know, you're not doing right here. You're charging them outrageous interest. And so he gathered them together, verse 8, and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Now, what is he saying? Remember, all the Jewish people, because of correction and discipline from God, got exiled into all the different places, Assyria, Babylonia, different places like that. So they're an exiled people, but God begins to bring them back. And previous to Nehemiah, we have a leader called Ezra. And God uses Ezra to start bringing the people back. Slowly but surely, people are coming back to Jerusalem. They're starting to build the walls now. And they begin to be a people again, the people that God has called them to be. Some Jewish people and families 
would find out of other family members or even other friends that were still in exile and said, hey, we will pay your way. We will buy you out of exile and we will give you the money to come back to Jerusalem. That's kind of encouraging that they would have a love for one another like that, not just family members, but you know, as a people, as a Jewish people. And so that was happening. That's what Nehemiah is saying, that we were, we were taking our own money and we were... Uh, Make it where these families could afford to come back and we were buying back their freedom and, and so we're assembling together. And you've done just the opposite. We bought them out of this freedom, uh, uh, out of this slavery, and you are putting them right back into slavery. Pretty heavy accusation. And yet here's all the nobles and, and here's all the officials. And really this can go one of two ways. Have you ever noticed that when you confront evil... When you confront wrong, basically it can go one of two ways. One, there can be brokenness and there can be repentance and there can be people that say, man, that's, thank you for bringing that to my attention. And you can see the heaviness of their sin and that evil in their life and they confess it, they get it right. Kind of like David did when the prophet Nathan came and said, you've sinned. And, and, and David said, I've sinned against God. And there was brokenness and repentance. But what's the other outcome? That sometimes happens in human nature. You point out evil, you point out something wrong, and there's rebellion. And all of a sudden, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that's accusatory. You're the one that somehow has got everything mixed up. What happened? Which way did these nobles and officials go? Look at the last part of verse 8. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. They were silent and could not find a word to say. They realized under the conviction of God that they were wrong. Nehemiah didn't have to go through 14 different purposes. He didn't have to go through all this different stuff. He just said, guys, we've been buying people out of slavery. We've been redeeming people back. Big picture, see what Christ has done. Redeeming people and bringing them back. And yet you put them back in slavery again. Now that could never happen to us, could it? Where Christ redeems us and brings us back. And then the church, our own Christian brothers and sisters, would put us back into captivity. Surely that would never happen in modern day. And yet it does. Let me do a quick time out here. Because what we're about to see and what Nehemiah begins to suggest is, is people starting to volunteer and, and help one another. And there has been um, the accusation against Christianity, especially in the New Testament, based on Acts chapter 2 through 5, that somehow Christianity promotes, endorses economic socialism. And it doesn't. Okay, it's, it's not a socialist government. It's, you know, all of a sudden... Uh, what it promotes is kindness and charity. And some have tried to argue that when we look in the Old Testament, and what we're about to see here, why this is relevant to Nehemiah, is he's going to say, look, if you have the ability, help somebody who's having a hard time. And some people have taken that and what happens in Acts chapter 2 through 5 in the early church, and they said, look, the Bible, it endorses socialism. It never 
endorses socialism. You know what it endorses? Kindness, charity. It does say, if God has blessed you and you see a person in need, it doesn't command you by some methodical way to give. It just says, you know, in the blessing of what God has blessed you, will you help that person in need? In the early church, there was a spirit of amazing love. And some of the verses that people point to talk about how all the people had everything in common. Uh, Acts 2, 44 and through 45. Let's just look at that. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Okay? Now, that's where a lot of people say, well, see, it's promoting like this socialistic kind of communistic kind of everybody just kind of put into a big pot and then everybody take a portion apart. That's not what it's saying. Folks, have we learned, if you haven't learned anything else, have we learned to try to take scripture in context? Read what happened before. Read what happens afterwards. Look at what the rest of the Bible says so that whenever we see a verse like that that goes, wow, man, they believed and together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. Now read what happens right before there. Look at verse 42 and 43 of Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and and prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, God was moving. The Holy Spirit had come and God was moving. And people's minds and hearts were being transformed. Romans 12, 2. Kind of our goal. I ask my discipleship guys all the time, as, you know, as we're about to leave for the day, hey guys, what's the goal of today? What's the goal today? Justification or transformation? And they kind of know the answer now. We're not trying to be justified. Jesus has already done that, guys. There's nothing we could add to that. We're not trying. My attempt today and tomorrow is not to further justification. It was all finished in Jesus Christ. But now I have a great call to be holy as God was holy. He's called me into, to, as it says in Romans 8, 29, to, to, to more and more be conformed to the image of Christ. So the goal for you and I today as Christians, if you're a believer, is not justification. That has been done. But it is transformation. And would you agree today that there are still parts of your mind and your life and your thinking that need to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ more and more into Christ's likeness. That's what's going on here. The verses right after there that when it says that they had everything in common, verse 46 and 47, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Not just with other Christian people. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, there were outsiders that were not part of the Christian faith that were looking on the inside and they were seeing this generosity and they were seeing this love and they were going, wow, that's impressive. That's not normal. Wouldn't it be cool if the outside world looked at the church and looked at the body of Christ 
And they saw our spirit of generosity, not just to one another, but even to others outside of the faith. And they saw this generosity and they saw this humility and this, this hope that we have because God has blessed us. And they said, man, I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by that. Folks, this is generosity. It's not socialism. It was not mandated. It was not forced. It was not government control. It was something spiritual. So if you ever hear that argument, well, you know, I don't know about Christianity. I I think it just kind of promotes, you know, the socialistic. No, it doesn't. But it does promote without compromise. Transformed and generous hearts. Now, I say all this because I want you to understand what Nehemiah is saying and what Nehemiah is not saying. He's not saying that is that being wealthy is evil. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find that. In fact, some of the most spiritual men that we know, David, Solomon, Abraham, different ones like that, the most, they really were, Job, believe it or not, richest men. I mean, they would have been in the Forbes top ten list. Okay, they, they were really wealthy people in consideration of their time. What Nehemiah is not saying, that the well-off of others is for, to be forced upon us. He's not saying that we put it all in one big basket and then we divide it out to however many is there. What is he saying? Never take advantage of the misfortune of others. That is evil, folks. That is evil. And it was happening among the nobles and the officials. They saw the hardship. They had money. Okay, well, we'll buy your farm, okay, if you want to mortgage it. But we're not going to give you 20000 We're going to give you 10000 And desperate people, do they make really wise decisions sometimes, financial decisions, or in desperation, do sometimes we make unwise decisions? Yeah, because we get desperate. Especially if the other choice is, I'm going to have to sell one of my children into slavery. Let's be real what's happening here, guys. He said this is evil, and he called it evil. He's also not saying, or that he is saying there, that it's a great responsibility comes with God blessing. If you here today say, okay, God has really blessed me. Do you realize great responsibility comes with that? Whether it's financial blessing, whether it's other kinds of blessing, there's great responsibility that comes from that. Nehemiah called the nobles and the officials together. He calls out evil. They actually respond with silence going, in other words, they're going, we're guilty. Guilty is charged, which is not really human nature, but it is part of the spiritual nature when God is doing the correcting. He said, that's wrong if you do it to anybody, but especially your brothers. Now, Nehemiah then gives them a clear way out, a clear path to correct things. Look at verses 9 through 11. So I said, and remember, this is Nehemiah talking. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts and the, uh, of the nations or of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. In other words, he says, you know, if, if you want to help them out, you don't have to give it away, but stop charging interest. In fact, from every indication, we have uh, indication that they were doing this thing called usury. Have you ever heard of that? Where, again, like a loan shark, 
It's not 2% interest. It's not 5% interest. It's 40% interest. And so that's what they were doing to their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. Verse 11, Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Is he telling them to give it back free? No. But he says, stop exacting this interest. He doesn't tell them to give their wealth away. What he tells them, stop taking advantage of their despair. And they do it. And they do it. Verse 12 and 13. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest. I, I love what Nehemiah does there. He calls in the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I said, okay, we don't want you to leave here and then change your mind when you get home and go, this is going to cost me thousands of dollars. He said, no, you, you make this promise to God. Verse 13. And I also shook off the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his, this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said... And what did they do? This is the people of God. Still fighting that old nature that says, hey man, here's opportunity to make a buck. They're confronted with the evil that they had done. And when confronted with the evil, they repent. And they said, we're going to return all this. And we're not going to charge interest to these people. And then they collectively said, amen. And what happens? And and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Is there redemption for this human nature that we have? Yes. His name is Jesus Christ. Is there hope that we can have victory over this old nature that says, ah, there's opportunity. Even if that opportunity would mean doing evil to another person. There is. There's this hope against this inward nature, this old man that we read about in the, the New Testament. So, so what's the application for us? What's, how do we apply this? Two things that I think come out of this. Graciousness and generosity should be characteristic of the Christian. The people of God, one of the characteristics that we should have in spirit is generosity and graciousness. Would you agree with that? That, the, that we could prove that over and over and over? That we could substantiate that with biblical text? Do you have to be rich to be gracious and generous? No. You can be penniless and still be gracious and generous. That should be a characteristic of whose. This is what, this is what Nehemiah was correcting. He said, guys, what you're doing is evil. It is neither gracious or is it generous. You're actually taking, uh, you know, your own brothers and sisters, your own people, and you're taking advantage of their despair. Remember what we read in Acts just a little while ago? That when the people were practicing generosity and graciousness to one another, who saw that, the people in the church and the people outside the church. Wouldn't it be known? Wouldn't it be great to be known as a generous and gracious people? 
gracious with your time, gracious with your forgiveness, gracious with just who you are. Second thing, our graciousness should be a hallmark of how we do business. Some of you are business owners and some of you work under management or work for somebody and you're working for somebody. But whether you are this guy or this guy, whether you are the, the lady that owns the company or, or you're the one over here and, and your job is to clean up after everybody else has gone, no matter where you might be in any kind of corporate structure, if you're a Christian, graciousness should be a characteristic. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. He said, man, you're not working for Mr. Jones. You're working for Mr. Jesus. Is it hard when you're working for an evil Mr. Jones <laughs> to remember that you're working for Jesus? It really is. I mean, we've all been in situations where we're going, oh, my goodness. Those nobles, those officials, I work for them. <laughs> when you're down, they just kick you harder. What should be the characteristic of us as the people of God? Graciousness and generosity. One other thing I'm just going to throw in there, guys. If you are an owner of a business, if you do kind of go out there and, and you promote that in any way, if you promote yourself even as an employee somewhere and you promote yourself as a Christian employee, please, 110%, 110%, If you own a business, don't use the little fish as a marketing tool. Use it as an accountability that you want to serve the people that come into your business 110%. So that they might say, what a generous, gracious company this is. Have you ever done business with somebody who had the fish? And they burned you? It is heartbreaking because you're going, okay, the reason I kind of sought out you because I thought you were, you know, kind of said that you're a Christian company. You have these Christian standards. And, and there's this high accountability, even from somebody who's outside the faith, that when you put yourself up there as one representing Christ, you've raised the bar, guys. Live at that level. Perform at the level. Serve at that level. Give at that level. And make much of Christ. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating others through us. Isn't that amazing that God would say that? If I'm God, I'm not entreating others through Bobby Lincoln. I'm just going to entreat them through Jesus Christ. And yet, that's our invitation. That we're called now to be ambassadors for Christ. So don't don't scurry away from let it be known if you're an employee somewhere that you're a Christian, that you stand for Bring your Bible, but back it up with generosity and grace and kindness and the qualities of Christ. Reflect him in the workplace. If you own a business and, and somehow you it's kind of known that, I mean, this is a Christian business. Over-serve, over-serve, over-serve. So they say, man, those Christians... Just like in Acts chapter 2. Man, those Christians. Wow. Something's got them. 
And we would be able to give testimony of the greatness of our God. Does that make sense? So even in this text, and again, I apologize before, because it, after I'm preaching now, I'm going, man, I like this text. You know, <laughs> It's got a lot in there. Because if we can learn one thing, that we are to have the characteristic of generosity and the characteristic of, of graciousness, I mean, that's transforming right there. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, if there's ever a day that we need to be generous and gracious and have that characteristic in our life, in our business lives, in the way that we just handle, you know, even neighborhood things and family things and church things. Father, let us be known as a gracious people. Let us be known for our generosity. Let us be known for kindness and mercy. All the things that you've given to us, Father. Everything that you have given to us in Christ Jesus, Father. Let us reflect that now to the world. Father, it will not take long for us to find hurting people around us. Father, I want to thank you that as a church as a people. Father, I thank you. This congregation, Father, Father, they have blessed my heart time and time again when I've heard of their graciousness and their kindness in our community. When I've heard of them representing you so well among people within the faith and even people outside the faith. Father, thank you that they take seriously what it means to be a gracious and kind people. Father, help us to do that more and more. Father, help us this day to to go out and to realize that when hurting people, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, when we see broken people, Father, thank you that you've called us to be an ambassador. Father, we can't fix anything, but we can represent the one who does fix everything, Father, and that's what you've called us into. Help us this week, Father, to have a sensitive spirit, to be aware of those that are hurting around us. And, Father, take the love and the words and the encouragement of Christ everywhere we go. We love you, Father. And we thank you for this word this morning as we pray this in the midst of all of our blessings. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.